0: Today we are uh, back in the book of James. Last week we took a little hiatus from James and um, shared a message on the grace of giving. If you weren't here last week and you didn't hear the message, I'd encourage you to listen to the podcast. It was something the Lord put on my heart, I believe, uh, for our church uh, at this time and an important message. So I'd encourage you to listen to that if you were not here. But today we're back in the book In James chapter 4, we're going to look at uh, a lengthy portion of scripture, but the message, don't worry, will not be that long. Um, We're going to start in James chapter 4, verse 13, through the end of the chapter, and then read the first 11 verses of James chapter 5. So if you'd like to turn there in your Bibles, we'll begin reading together. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. as it is you boast in your arrogance all such boasting is evil so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him it is sin come now you rich weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door as an example of suffering and patience, brothers. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, we look to you again this morning in these moments to speak to us by your Holy Spirit through your written holy word. Give us ears to hear what you would say in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Although these passages that I just read from those two chapters, seem somewhat unrelated, I kind of found a connection among them that I'd like to share. Um, Last week in the message that I preach, I shared that grace was one of God's attributes, an attribute being, simply put, something that is true about God. And in this particular section of Scripture... It sort of breaks down into three different parts, as you could see from reading it. I see three attributes addressed by James. The first two from sort of a negative perspective, and the last a more positive one. Verses thirteen through seventeen, James speaks to those to whom he's writing and says. You say, I'm going to go here. I will go here. I will go there. I will do this. I will do that. In this city for a time, for this specified period of time, and I will make a profit. And he rebukes those who say that, reminding them that God is a sovereign God. And so what he addresses here, I believe, is denying the sovereignty of God in making such statements, drawing such conclusions, and making such plans. Now, one thing that is important to say here is what James is not saying. He's not saying that it's wrong to make plans, to plan for the future, because if he were saying that, he'd be in contradiction to other parts of Scripture. Just to name or read a couple, in Proverbs chapter 6, Six through eight, it says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, without having any chief officer or ruler. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in har- harvest. And so there's an admonition to prepare ahead of time. In chapter 21 of Proverbs, it says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty another of many scriptures we can point to that advocate planning ahead. And of course, there's the old saying, not scriptural but still true, if you fail to plan, plan to fail. So what James is addressing here is a total disregard with that attitude that he speaks of, a total disregard for God's purposes, and God's plan in our lives in favor of our own. And the language that's used here in his hypothetical statement by this hypothetical person, the language that's used indicates that when you say that, I will do this, I will do that, that it's indisputable. I know it's going to happen because I'm saying it's going, I'm going to do it. That is ignoring the sovereignty of God. Not only is this a sin of omission because you're neglecting to acknowledge God's sovereignty in your life, it's also a sin of commission because there's boasting in that self-sufficiency. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Boasting is arrogance. Arrogance is pride, and pride is is a deadly sin. It's one of the things that caused man to fall in the very beginning, and not only that, but if you look in the book of Isaiah in the 14th chapter, we see it is the very thing that caused Satan to fall from heaven. Isaiah 14 is a chapter that speaks about the king of Babylon, but it's one of those portions in prophetic scripture that has a dual fulfillment and here, it's not just speaking about the king of Babylon, but it's also speaking, most scholars believe, about Satan and his fall from heaven. An archangel, all the authority that he had, he still wasn't satisfied. And it says this in thir- verses 13 through 15, you said in your heart, speaking to he- about Satan, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of god i will set my throne on high i will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north i will ascend above the heights of the clouds i will make myself like the most high trying to usurp the authority of god but you know what happened he discovered he ain't god god is sovereign and the very next verse says but you are brought down to Sheol Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. So James is not saying it's wrong to plan, but to rather acknowledge God in all your plans. Seek his counsel in all your plans. Do not deny his sovereignty. Proverbs chapter 19 Another scripture from Proverbs says this, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. The Apostle Paul, in a couple of places in the New Testament, we see him, in effect, heeding what James is teaching here. In the book of Acts, in the 18th chapter, in the 21st verse, Luke, the writer of Acts, tells us that when Paul was leaving Ephesus where he had gone on one of his missionary journeys and he had planted a church and raised up leaders and it was time for him to leave, he said, he wanted to come back, but he said, if the Lord wills, I will return to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 19, writing to the Corinthian church, he says to them, if it is the Lord's will, I'll come to you. This on the surface may seem like a little thing, but it's in the scripture, so it's not. I'm not suggesting that we have to say every time we're talking about our future, if the Lord wills. I think it's something that probably people said much more frequently, maybe a generation or two ago. And I don't say it all the time, but the Lord, I think, has put it on my heart to include that anytime I'm speaking about plans that I have next year it is my hope that i will retire from my from full-time work and when i speak about that i find myself each time i do it saying lord willing next november i'm going to retire because i know that god may have different plans i hope that is not true But I know it may be. Or he may take me out of where I am now and place me somewhere else. If the Lord wills, God is sovereign. We can't deny or defy that sovereignty in our plans. The next thing James speaks of here, I think, addresses the is- issue or the attribute of God's justice. And I believe he's speaking here about ignoring the justice of God. Now these first six verses of chapter five are, are verses that, um, about which there's just disagreement among scholars. Uh, some think he is addressing the same people to whom he's written this letter, namely, those believers who are scattered throughout the nations, that's what it says in the first chapter. Others think he is speaking rather about the worldly, corrupt, wealthy men. As you read through this, these six verses, I don't think you can find any scathing rebuke that is more of a scathing rebuke than these six verses it may very well be that perhaps there were those in that church or in these um, these churches to whom he was speaking i tend to think he may have been speaking more sort of prophetically as you read through the prophetic books you see the prophets addressing nations other than judah and israel other than god's covenant people you see them see them speaking about Egypt, you see them speaking about Assyria, you see them speaking about Babylon and the judgment that was going to come upon them. I think this may be the same. But whoever he's addressing, it's a harsh rebuke. And just as in the preceding passage, James was not saying that it is wrong to plan, I think it's important to point out here that he's not saying that wealth in and of itself is bad. There's nowhere in scripture that I know of that says that explicitly. There is the scripture that says that the love of money is the root of all evil. And so James is not addressing it from the perspective that all wealth is bad, but rather it's how you use that wealth that comes into question. That's what he's speaking of here. He rebukes these who are taking advantage of others, who are living self-indulgently, while at the same time oppressing the laborers that they've hired and failing to pay them the wages that were due them. He says that even that they have condemned and murdered the righteous person. Some of these words that he says here in these verses are very reminiscent to what Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount. I alluded to that partic- the particular passage, Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, last week. They're very similar. James says, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, do not lay up or store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, I said at heaven, I meant earth, excuse me. <laughs> Don't store up your treasures on earth, but store up your treasures in heaven. James is saying the same thing here. There has been, I think, maybe a reluctance to speak too much of social justice in the evangelical church. Sometimes it can be a a controversial subject. But I think there's nothing wrong and everything right about calling for justice of the oppressed as long as it is done without compromising the message of the gospel of salvation. Because Jesus, because God throughout the scripture speaks about that very thing, justice, the cause of the less fortunate is often addressed in scripture. God's heart of compassion and mercy toward those who are oppressed is very evident. One of the passages that came to mind as I was preparing was the often quoted passage from Isaiah chapter 58. I won't read the whole chapter, but this is what God says in rebuking the Israelites for the fast that they were taking part in. He says, "'Is not this not the fast that I choose, "'to loose the bonds of wickedness, "'to undo the straps of the yoke, "'to let the oppressed go free, "'and to break every yoke? "'Is it not to share your bread with the hungry "'and bring the homeless poor into your house?' when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then you shall, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. God's heart for those less fortunate is evident throughout scripture. When Jesus looked out on the masses, he, the scripture said, had compassion on them. His heart was moved because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He takes no delight in those who oppress them, and rather rebukes them, as James does. The corrupt among the worldly wealthy are sometimes guilty of perpetrating that social injustice against the poor and the oppressed. Yesterday we read the news about a man who took his own life, apparently. A very wealthy man who oppressed and enslaved and bought and sold people. That man, yesterday morning, stood before the living God. He may have never had opportunity or those who would have prosecuted him not had opportunity to prosecute him here on earth. But the judge in heaven already did. Don't ignore the justice of God, James says. Don't take advantage of those less fortunate, but rather do what he said in Isaiah 58, to feed the poor, clothe the naked. Jesus said it himself in one of his parables. And so, if James, in fact, was addressing unbelieving, worldly, corrupt, wealthy people, to what benefit would it be to the believers who read it? Well, in the midst of their persecution, in the midst of their hardship, it gave and it gives perspective. One of the psalms that I, I like the most and from which I have preached on a number of occasions is Psalm 73, the psalm of Asaph. And again, I won't take time to read the entire psalm, but in this psalm, Asaph says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I, saw, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then verse after verse, he speaks about how the wicked have no pain, the wicked have no troubles, they prosper, even though they're not following you, Lord, have I kept my hands clean for nothing? And he says, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, and on he goes, speaking about the judgment of the wicked. He knew when he came into the sanctuary of God, by revelation from God, that there was a judgment coming for those about whom he spoke. And he says at the end, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish, but you put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of your works." And so as James' readers were reading about the wicked, and about the oppressors in the midst of their persecution, I would think that perhaps this psalm came to mind for them. They knew, and we know, that we have a God who is for us, on our side, and faithful. And as we draw to a close, the last portion of this passage today speaks to that faithfulness of God. That's one of his attributes. He is faithful. And he encourages, James does, the believers in these final verses of the passage to be patient until the coming of the Lord. James's words here in these last few verses seem to indicate uh, that he thought the coming of the Lord was imminent. Many think that's true of uh, James, of uh, Paul, of other New Testament writers. They knew that the day and the hour, Jesus said, was known to no man, but many believed that he would return very soon, even in their lifetime. That did not happen but it didn't diminish their faith in in God's faithfulness. Trust in him, James says, in these final verses. Be patient in the suffering. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Encouraging them once again, returning once again in his letter to this subject of endurance and of patience. He begins his letter with that. He speaks about it in the body of the letter. And as he draws this letter to a conclusion, he speaks about it again. Endure hardship. God has not abandoned you. Sometimes true justice is not seen in this life. We all know that. We all perhaps have personally experienced things in our families and among those we know who have suffered injustice of some kind or hurt of some kind because of an injustice done to them. And we want that justice to be meted out. It doesn't always happen in this life, but there is a judge in heaven. And that's what, that's what James says. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Endure hardship. Be patient. Be steadfast, as Job and the prophets were, because the Lord is compassionate and faithful. There will be a day in this earth when everything will be made right. One of my most favorite books, C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, part of the Chronicles of Narnia, I'm sure many of you have read. There's a line from that book, Narnia is a place, a parallel universe, if you will, created by C.S. Lewis in that series. It's an allegorical tale that speaks of creation and redemption. Aslan, the lion, is the Christ figure. And in The Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, all of Narnia has been put under a curse by the Satan, Satanic-like figure, the White Witch. And so that it is always winter and never Christmas." But one of the characters, Mr. Beaver, speaks to the boys and the girls who've been brought from this world into that world to help to restore Narnia to what it once was. Speaks about Aslan, who has not been seen for many, many years. And When they ask who Aslan is, he begins to tell them, And he says to them, although the things are as they are now, and it's always winter and never Christmas, all will be made right when Aslan comes on sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. And with that allegory, he's speaking truth. Someday, perfect justice will be restored. Someday, all God's people will be blessed when Jesus returns. Do not deny the sovereignty of God by your actions and your plans. Remember to bless the poor and not ignore the justice of God. And as you wait, wait patiently, knowing that God is a faithful God. Let's pray together as we close. Lord, we thank you for your word. As we read through James, we see such wisdom throughout it. We such, see such practical teachings. But we see your hand in all of it. We ask, God, that you would help us as we go from day to day to apply, apply the truths of your word. Sometimes they seem, some things seem as, not as important as others, but yet they all constitute your word and are important for us to apply. So help us, Lord. Help us in our dealings with others to be fair and just Help us to bless those who are less fortunate. Help us to recognize each day that we walk through this life that you are God of our lives. And as we plan for our future, may it be the plans that you place in our heart. May we submit those things to you. And help us, Lord, as we wait. As we wait, help us to do so patiently, enduring, because we have hope, hope in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.